Um, so before we get into um, the Bible reading and Jacob's sermon, um, some of you may know here that during the week I spent a little bit of time working in an aged care facility. Um, it's safe to say that there's never a boring day. Uh, there's lots of very vibrant characters where I work. Um, and one particular person who comes uh, to visit our nurses clinic quite regularly is this really lovely guy who is often just seeking a little bit of extra company. Uh, occasionally though, usually every two to three weeks, uh, he starts to uh, hyperfixate or just become really obsessed uh, with us checking to make sure that he's okay. He has this fear that he is sick and that he needs help. Uh, so everything looks okay when we check on him. Um, yet he insists and insists, tells us or asks us a lot uh, for us to call an ambulance. Um, so if we don't do this, he, he becomes pretty upset. Uh, he tells us all these symptoms, I'm not going to nurse you or try and do this as a training session. Um, but he gives us all of these symptoms that he's feeling which, you know, spark that little bit of concern for um, clinical staff that maybe are here. He gets pain in his chest, he has difficulty with his breathing, um, he just wants help. So what do we do? We call an ambulance. We're not, we're not cruel. Um, we send him off to hospital uh, and we just wait to hear if there's any updates. So as, as I mentioned, this happens every two to three weeks. It's, pretty, it's a pretty common occurrence. Well, I'm not meaning this sarcastically, but this man loves to go to the hospital. Uh, he loves it. Uh, he will return home usually about two to three hours later. Uh, with him comes a little envelope from the hospital with his little discharge summary. Gives us a little idea of what's happened while he's been in hospital. Uh, and usually there's a number of question marks on his uh, discharge summary from the hospital. Um, so comes to hospital with pain, you know, reports from aged care facility. Um, but when he's there, there's nothing wrong. He has no pain. His breathing is great. He is smiling, he is laughing. Um, he just enjoys being in a hospital. So suddenly all of these things that he's just told us about that have made us really worried and getting him into an ambulance, they just suddenly disappear. Um, this isn't a story about miracles, um, but it's actually something that we see quite a bit within the health industry. Uh, I don't know if there's a name for it, uh, but there's a bit of a phenomenon that happens, especially with the elderly, where they tell the nurses all of their pains. It's everything is excruciating, everything is difficult. Uh, but the moment that the doctor wanders into the room, oh, the doctor's too busy. Darling, it's fine. I'm okay. I don't need any help. Um, they're too important to tell any of their concerns to. So the doctors are just, you know, like, we don't know what's going on, wander out the room, no further problems. Um, the patients are often left feeling, well, I don't really want to bother the doctor with this. Uh, it can wait or it will go away, they believe. So we're going to be opening our Bible shortly to this Psalm of Lament. Um, but as I was thinking about this and reflecting on this passage that we'll be reading today, I often, oh, I reflected and I guess I want for us each to reflect about this a little bit. So do we view God in the same way that this patient views the doctor? Are we quick to phone a friend, um, tell our friends about what's happening in our lives? You know, something's bothering me, something feels painful. 
Um, but when we think about taking this to God, we feel like, I don't know, maybe he's too busy. Um, he doesn't have the time. Uh, or perhaps he just can't help. Uh, I can admit that I've felt all of these things when it comes to uh, expressing these frustrations and woes to God. Um, and often we are, yeah, stuck in this cycle of thinking that this is how God can be. Uh, so as we sit with some of those thoughts, um, we're going to open our Bibles together to um, just a short six verses from Psalm 13. Um, and we're going to read about how the particular author or the psalmist in this passage addresses God in their times of struggle. Uh, if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up. Uh, but also the words will be on the screen behind me. So Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Thanks, Kathleen. And yeah, welcome to church, everyone. It's so great to be here with you guys again for another week. My name is Jacob. If we haven't met, and hopefully if we haven't met, we'll have a chance to do that over lunch today as well. It's a scorching hot day. What more could you want than a scorching hot bowl of beef to, uh, to kind of to pair with that hot sun? So, so look forward to that in a little bit. Um, I'm just going to pray, and we're going to jump into looking at this psalm and, and a few other psalms as well as we think through this topic of lamentless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would be with us now in the particular and unique ways that each of us need, uh, for the ways that we need you to speak into our particular emotional state or circumstances or thought process or the way we need to engage with our particular line of questioning that we might be bringing here today. And we just ask that your word might be able to affect a great many of us today, even though our lives are different and we are different, that your word would ring true and that we would be encouraged and we would catch a glimpse of your heart towards us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... This is week three, like Kathleen was saying, in a, in a series on praying the Psalms. And the goal of this series, as we've been saying week in and week out, is that we want to be deepening ourselves as a community of prayer. That we want to be able to, together, be cultivating a richer and deeper prayer life that can be sustained through all of life's stages and circumstances. And we've been doing that by looking at different, I guess, categories or different genres of the Psalms. So week one, we looked at praise. Last week, we looked at confession. That is, how do you know, pray when you're overwhelmed with a sense of guilt or failure? But today, I think we're looking at uh, perhaps what is typically the most difficult times of life in which to pray. The times where our experience seems to be contrary to what we believe, or at least say we believe. 
Christians believe, obviously, that God is good, that he is present, that he is caring, that that is demonstrated clearly in Jesus, that he died and rose for us. But sometimes our felt experience doesn't line up with those beliefs, does it? Either it's because you're just simply living in this world and you see the injustices and the tragedies that occur in our world on a daily basis, or whether it's through some experience actually a bit closer to the core of your being that seems to shout, God has abandoned me. And I've had a few seasons in my life where that has really felt to be the case, where I've just felt like God has left me. The most noticeable of these for me, I think, has been a couple of times in my life where I've gone through an extended period of clinical depression, the last of which was in the first half of my 20s, where for actually quite a few years, back to back, I went through what you might describe as a bit of a dark night of the soul, where the feeling of depression just lingers day after day, regardless of what is going on, regardless of what good things are still objectively there around you and before you. Just a prolonged inability to feel joy or happiness. And I'm sure that I'm not alone in that. I reckon there'd be many in this room that have had times where it feels like the dark cloud is just not moving. Waking up day after day and having the darkness not lifting and, and the question starting to grow and become more plausible week after week, month after month, of, am I ever going to be happy again? And then for the Christian, there's some other layers that often come alongside this, and this has been my experience, and I know from conversations it's been others' experience as well, that when you're experiencing that deep emotional depression that often comes part and parcel with that is an intellectual doubt. Asking the questions in your mind, maybe is God even there? Maybe he's not real, or maybe he's not good, or maybe I'm alone after all. And then later on that, a spiritual dryness coming on Sundays like this and just not feeling particularly being moved to worship, not feeling a sense of delight or satisfaction in God. And in this dismal trifecta of depression and, and doubt and dryness, it can start to become hard of what is causing the other, but realistically it seems that they're probably all causing each other in a bit of a downward spiral. And as I've even this week just reflected on those times and even looked at some of my journal entries from those times, I'm just reminded of just how heavy and painful life can be. And I think every Christian goes through times in which pain and darkness is a present reality and where God seems distant. It might not be from like a clinical depression. It might be more acutely circumstantial. After going through a job loss or a diagnosis or a breakup or a betrayal, it might be something that comes about not suddenly but through an accumulation of ongoing disappointment. Disappointment in singleness or infertility or unemployment or some other particular unanswered prayer. And when you're in those seasons, as everyone will be at some stage, the question is, how do you pray when that's what you're feeling? When your experience is predominantly hurt, when God seems distant, when you just feel like crap, when you're disappointed in the shadow of confusion and darkness. I grew up as like in a Christian home and at different points in my childhood I learned different like acronyms of how to how to pray. The one that's like most in my mind is like ACTS, which is acknowledge who God is, confess, thanksgiving, and then supplication, which is asking for stuff. But often in these like paradigms that you might learn, like where does I just feel miserable fit into that? In my time 
times of depression, there have been a handful of psalms, and I think it's really four or five in particular, that carried me through. The part of the Bible that I could most resonate with and, and helped me in that season was some of the psalms, and that as I read them and in turn echoed them to God, they gave me not only the means to speak to God in such a season, but soothed some of the pain and gave me hope and comfort in the midst of misery. And all of these psalms that helped me would fall into this category of what you might call lament. Prayers for times of suffering. And I think the psalms of lament are one of the single greatest hidden gems of the Bible. They're not utilized near as much as they deserve because everybody suffers. And Christianity does provide a theology of suffering, which I think holds its own against any other worldview, and every worldview has to wrestle with the, the deep and, and poignant questions of suffering. But I think more than giving a theology of suffering or, or answers for why suffering happens, the Psalms give really a toolkit for enduring suffering. That what Christianity, I think, as a whole, and the Psalms in particular, give is, is a, a set of resources that, in my obviously biased opinion, no other worldview can compete with to assist us in walking down the road of suffering, pain, and darkness. And so the book of Psalms, there's 151 kind of songs, poems, prayers in there. And at the very least, 50 of those are clearly defined Psalms of lament. That is what they are. Another 50 of them have aspects of lament kind of mixed in with them. So roughly a third to two-thirds of the book of Psalms deals with this type of psalm. And what we see as we read across them is a diversity of what lament can look like. That is, a diversity of, of what it looks like to pray in the hard times of life. But despite the, the huge amount and just the volume of kind of lament psalms that are there and that you could pick and choose from, as I've looked over a few and, and read what other people have observed in these, they all basically follow the same structure. Just like songs, although they're different, you know, typically like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, or whatever, or every movie, no matter how different, is, is pretty much, you know, the introduction, the, the conflict, the climax, the resolution. The Psalms follow the same structure, with only a couple of exceptions, that show us what it is to lament well. And so what I want to do today is we go through Psalm 13, just because it's one of the shorter laments, which you can keep in your Bible in front of you, is see how each of these components that make up a lament can help us learn to pray through hard times. So here's the four stages we're going to walk through. Um, turn to God, voice your complaint, ask for help, and affirm your trust. That's where we're going today. And I'll show you this from Psalm 13. So firstly, turning to God. The first aspect that we see in, in each and every one of these lament psalms is that they are directed to God. The psalmist, in their, in their pain and suffering, turn to God. The first line of our psalm, Psalm 13, starts with, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 22, another famous psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 88, one of the darkest of all the laments, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Laments are addressed to God. And you might think, well, that's kind of obvious. They're prayers. That's what prayers are. They're things addressed to God. But although that's obvious, I don't think it's at all obvious that bringing our pain and suffering to God is one of the first things that we should do with it. Because I think, in fact, stereotypically, this isn't what a lot of people do with pain and suffering. The stereotype, I think, of a, of a, of a religious person is someone who, when they're faced with an unpleasant thought, an uncomfortable reality, a doubt or a frustration, is to suppress it, to bottle it up, 
to push it down, to think, wow, I just had that thought, I shouldn't be thinking this, so I'll just kind of push that one right down the bottom there and hopefully it's not going to kind of do any damage because that's how emotions work. So you can just roll up to church, take a deep breath in the car, stretch out a smile across your face and, th and then come on in. But the laments show that we can take our pain to God. That's what they fundamentally are. It's taking our suffering and our experience to God. Not just airing our pain and suffering, not just sharing our pain and suffering with a friend, not just spending an extended time on our own thinking about our pain and suffering, which obviously are valid, talking to people, talking to counselors, reflecting on your own, but just those aren't what a lament is. A lament is specifically Godward. It's the conscious deciding that the place I'm going to take this pain in this moment, this frustration that I'm feeling, is to God. And while it's the simplest, I think, of the steps, it's sometimes the hardest, isn't it? Particularly after a protracted period of not praying or feeling distant from God. To, in a sense, decide to pick up the phone and, and start talking to God about what you're going through. So that's step one. That's the, the shortest one. I'm not going to spend more time than I need to on that, but turning to God. The second step that we see in the lament, and this is the longest part of almost all the laments, is to voice your complaint. I think when you are going through something hard, or I'll just speak for myself, when I'm going through something difficult and I, and I do go to God in prayer, I can jump pretty quickly into saying, God, can you fix this? Can you do something about this? Can you change this? Can you make this end, make this stop? Just get to work, please, is kind of how my prayers typically go. But what's interesting in the laments is that they're not mostly actually asking for anything. Most of them are simply a description of a present experience or reality. So look at Psalm 13. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you notice as you're reading that, that's not a, that's not a request, is it? He's not actually in that moment asking for something. He's asking a question, but it's not asking something to be done. He's, he's crying out. It's really just a way of describing his experience that he's sorrowful and he feels like God has forgotten him. You see similar just in-depth descriptions across the Psalms. In Psalm 42, another famous Psalm of Lament, the person here writes, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Well, Psalm 88, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. My eyes are dim with grief. I encourage you to maybe pick up some of those psalms when you're at home and, and do them, the long version of Psalm 42, Psalm 88, for example, because you see that a lot of them is just describing this pain, just sitting in it, wallowing in it even, bringing it to God. I think culturally we can struggle with complaint, a bit like what Kathleen was describing about potentially a patient not wanting to trouble the doctor. I went camping a couple of weeks ago at a, at a campsite up on the coast, and it was great spending a week near the beach and, and everything, but the facilities left a little bit to be desired, particularly the toilet block. Um, amenities blocks, if you've been to any amenities blocks, like, they're never going to be great, are they? Like a shared toilet, it's just by default not, not a fantastic thing. But at the place that we were staying, it was kind of next level. There was, for, there was 100 blokes or so, I'd say, across the campsite, three showers, three toilets, and I'm pretty sure that is run kind of by hippie-type people, and maybe they don't believe in bleach and chemicals. So it just, it's, I'm, I'm not going to go any further in that description. You can imagine, you can do the imagination. 
But in the bathroom, there was actually behind the toilet doors like a QR code where you could like get into the Instagram and Google and leave a review and it said, please leave us a review. And even on the sink, there was a thing saying, is something not quite right? Come and tell one of the staff. And so every time you'd go to the bathroom, you'd be like, this is a horrible experience. This is not right. This is, we're paying money for this. It's like horrible. And you talk about it with your group. But like, I never brought myself to complain. I thought about doing it. I was like, I could just rock up to the desk and say, what's going on in there, guys? Get some bleach. But I didn't want to be that guy. And I'm sure you've had the experience of being at a, at a cafe or a restaurant when the food comes and you look at it and the bread's a bit dry or the meat's undercooked or overcooked and you're like, this isn't right. Or, and you tell everyone at your table and then the wait staff come over and they say, how was everything? And you're like, great, great, thank you. Like, <laughs> we don't want to be complaining. We don't want to burden people. And if that's you, you're probably going to find lamenting hard because to lament is to say to God, fundamentally, I'm not happy with this. If you find it hard to complain to a waiter, like how much harder to complain to the God of the universe to say, God, I'm, I'm feeling disappointed. I'm feeling miserable. I can't see what you're doing. But what we see in these psalms of lament is that, and why they're included in the Bible, I think, is to show us that that is what prayer can be. That is a valid prayer to share with God what we are feeling to be confused. Look at Psalm 44. This is a psalm I think just speaks of a common experience of just the confusion and frustration in suffering. He's been describing the pain and suffering he's going through and he says this in verse 17, All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. Do you hear that cry? It's saying... God, we didn't do anything wrong in this instance at least. And yet you've crushed us. Have you felt that feeling when you feel like you're just suffering? And it's not because you've done anything wrong. It's not a punishment. It's just, it's just there. And so you say, why, God? It doesn't make sense. Do you notice in each of these examples, it's not asking God for something at this point. It's just, it's just airing with God what you're thinking and feeling. Even when those thoughts and feelings aren't necessarily correct. One of the things that's most interesting about the Psalms of Lament is how often people pray things that you wouldn't say are theologically accurate. Correct statements about God. Look at Psalm 44. It's a continuation of the one I was just reading. The psalmist cries out at the peak of his lament. He says, Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Is it a theologically correct description of God to say that he's basically asleep at the wheel? that he's being inactive or lazy or, or callous or just he's tapped out. Of course, it's not an accurate way to describe God, is it? God doesn't sleep. And yet, although that's not an accurate way to talk about God, the weird paradox in these laments is that it is an accurate way to pray. If that is your feeling and your thoughts, we are invited to speak it. Look again in Psalm 39, verse 13. In another lament, it says, look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. Is it theologically correct to say that, God, get out of my life, distance yourself from me, pay no attention to me whatsoever because if you leave and cut yourself away from me, I'll finally be able to get enjoyment and experience life to the full. That's obviously not correct, is it? But that is what this person is feeling. 
See the encouragement that these psalms are? That God is big enough for us to share our thoughts and our feelings with him. He can handle it. That we're allowed to speak to him about our experience. And not only are we allowed to, I would actually argue that doing this is restorative and healthy. It's the key to dealing with whatever's going on. I'm obviously not like a psychologist or a counsellor, so if ever I step into that zone, take everything with a grain of salt, um, you'd be well advised to do that. But I have, I have seen enough psychologists and counsellors in my time to know how it typically goes. And typically, the way it goes, it's not a problem-solving session. You don't kind of go in, do your hour, and then you walk out with a list of like five things that you can just knock over that week and, you, and you're fixed, whatever, you, whatever you're going through. Rather, what normally happens is this extended period of them trying to like, dig into you and draw out your deepest thoughts and feelings, even the ones that you're not aware of yourself. And they try to break down the barriers. And if you say things as you're talking to them, it's like, Look, I know this is silly, but, or I know I shouldn't be thinking this, but. They, they hone in on that, and they try to get underneath there. And like, what is this thing that you're discrediting by saying you can't say it or you can't feel it? And they dig at that because that's where the breakthroughs happen when you can actually own what is a real reality within you, what you're feeling and thinking. And I reckon it's the case that you can't work through things with God such as doubt until you can say, God, I'm doubting. You can't work through disappointment you're experiencing by saying simply, I mean, this is still good to say, but by saying, God, you're the best thing ever, everything you do for me is great and you're in control. Like that, that doesn't help you work through the disappointment. You need to be able to say, God, I'm disappointed. This is invited. And so if you've grown up thinking or feeling that God doesn't want to hear that sort of thing from you, these 50-plus psalms of lament are a counter-argument to that. We can air our feelings and our thoughts with God. It is safe to do so. And doing so actually opens up the door to asking for help, which is the next stage of these psalms of lament. Owning your pain and your hurt and your sadness is often the thing that actually drives you to God to receive his help and his comfort and his mercy. In my opinion, easily the best Pixar movie that's come out ever is Inside Out. Can I, is anyone here, has everyone, who's watched Inside Out? I want to know how much, yeah, we've got a lot of people watching it. If you haven't watched it, go get on it. It's so good. You don't have to have kids to enjoy it. I watched this long before I had kids and, and loved it. But it, it follows the story of the personified emotions of, the, of this 11-year-old girl called Riley as they try to navigate her through the difficult experience of moving to a new city with her family. And the big question that runs through the movie is, what is the purpose of sadness? You've got the other emotions that, you know, there's joy, fear, anger, disgust. They all seem to have a part to play in kind of keeping her on track and, and navigating life. But sadness just seems to be this wet blanket that just kind of holds her back and keeps her down. And so all the other emotions, and particularly joy, who's the ringleader, tries to keep sadness as far away from the controls as possible. She just tries to keep, Joy just wants her to be positive and happy and engaged, and she won't let sadness come out. But the climax of the movie comes when Riley has run away from home, she's sitting on a bus by herself, things seem to be going from bad to worse, when Joy and the other emotions realize that many of the, their best memories, in particularly the times they'd felt most loved and supported, had been because of sadness. That sadness was the one that actually enabled Riley to go and ask for help and to ask for comfort. And when sadness wasn't allowed to express herself, no one would even know that Riley needed comfort or help. 
And so they give Sadness the controls and she just bursts into tears and she runs to her mom and her dad and, and just vents that she is homesick, that she misses her friends, that she misses her old house. And they are able just to draw in and hug her and embrace her. Really good for a kids' movie, I reckon. It's a great, great film. And this is the dynamic that we see in the laments. We see time and time again that it's after just dwelling on, on the emptiness and the brokenness and the pain, on the injustice and the sickness and the suffering, that that moves us not to a place of apathy or just non caring about it, but to pray against it. To pray and lament against things in the world injustice, war, racial injustice. Disease. And in lamenting our own faith or our own experience and sadness and grief, we're, we move to pray boldly for the day when these things are no more. To cry out for God to comfort us as well in the midst of these things. And it's in this sense that lament doesn't drive us further away from God or put a wedge between God and us, but it draws us closer. That's different to just ruminating on, on frustration and pain and doubt. If you, if you try to deal with those things on your own, that can drive a wedge between you and God. As you just think and dwell on how hard done by you've been, how unfair God has been, how unfair life is, you can become bitter and cold. But to cry out to God and to invite him into that and to relate to him actually draws you closer. Look in Psalm 13 at this section where he's asking for help. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. We can and should ask God for help in suffering because it is in line with his character to enter into suffering. He wants to help us. And not just help us, but to help this world. And as Christians, our hope for that is anchored in Christ. That Jesus entered our world, and he was one who was familiar with lament. He's one who wept with those who were weeping. He's one who suffered and cried out. He's one who took on the identity of a suffering servant or a man of sorrows. Who on the cross quoted Psalm 22, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did all of this not just to kind of empathize with our suffering, but to save us from it. To ultimately defeat injustice and pain and sickness and death and sin. And so it is in line with who God is to cry out and ask for help. When we see brokenness, to pray against it. When we see lack of faith in ourselves, to plead for more of it when we're feeling joyless to ask for joy, to say to God and ask of him that he would take our beaten, fragile, tired faith and breathe life in it, to be restored. And to do that is to actually open up for yourself a posture of openness that God might answer that prayer, as he has done time and time again for his people. That even as you pray, he may make his closeness known. He may remind you, even as you read through a psalm of lament, of an aspect of his goodness and his mercy and his character and enable you to move to the fourth stage of lament, which is to affirm trust. Psalm 13 ends, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It seems 
And this is, comes up again and again. It's such a strange way to end a psalm that starts with like, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you hiding your face from me? How long will I be suffering? How long will I be oppressed? And to say, God, you've dealt bountifully towards me. And this is how psalms typically end. Psalm 42, 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. Psalm 10, 17. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. And we see here that the goal of lament is not only to express our pain, but to correct our thinking and to renew our faith. As we walk through this process of lament, we, we don't necessarily see all of our problems go away, but we are led to a place of taking hold of a renewed faith and hope in God and his purposes. This is the balance you get in the laments. And it's sometimes a hard balance to strike, to have complete openness and transparency and realness about your experience, your thoughts, and your feelings. And at the same time, to not completely capitulate to them. There is a fierceness in the laments, in the effort to hold to truth, to combat our own unbelief and doubt, and hold fast to the reality that keeps our souls from complete despair. And this is the paradox of Christianity, to simultaneously be able to suffer and hurt and yet rejoice and hope. Romans 5, 2-3, this is a bit of New Testament writing. Paul writes, we, hope, sorry, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. So it's an interesting dynamic to be able to navigate, isn't it? To be able to rejoice not just when times are easy or good or when it's just so clear that God is just blessing you in so many ways. Next week we're going to be talking about prayers of gratitude and thankfulness and how to actually do that well and appreciate what God has given us. But it's easy to rejoice when your prayer has been answered the way that you want. But it's hard when you're suffering. And so... Like these psalmists, we need to take hold of these realities and say to our souls, despite what I am feeling, I will yet sing and I will yet hope. Because God is unchanging, his greatest gift is secure, his love is unending, and he is a worthwhile place to place our trust. This is lament. I wonder if that's a bit of a new way of praying to think about. I was thinking this week, like, I've, I, you don't hear that much about laments. That's what I've certainly been feeling. And this isn't a type of prayer that I think I'm particularly accustomed to or expert in. But it's something I want to grow in. When I'm, when I'm finding in myself the, these, these frustrations and these doubts and these worries and these hurts, to be able to go to God and, and to go through these stages or, or try to, to, to address God, to voice our complaints to ask him for help and to reaffirm our faith towards him. And if that seems like it's just so hard to do, I really would encourage you to pick up some of these Psalms of Lament. Like I say, there's 50 or so of them. You can Google them. And just to start working through those if you don't have words of your own to pray. But in a moment now, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer, a prayer of just collective lament that hopefully you can identify with, particularly if you are in a season at the moment of finding life hard in some or, or many ways. And then we're going to spend some time continuing to worship, to not go away just like soaking in, in that stage of, of, of unbelief or concern or worry, but to reaffirm our trust in song together. So let's pray now.
God, you are our God. You are the Lord of our salvation. And we turn to you now. Even if some of us have not turned to you this week or this month or this year or in our lifetimes, we turn to you and bring our hearts before you. We know there are so many things of which we can and, and should lament, that you would lament alongside us and that Jesus would lament and did lament in his time. The injustice we see around us, the sadness, the broken relationships, the fragile states of our mental health, the struggles of our days, of, of our jobs, of our family life, the doubts we might be experiencing, the disbelief or the disillusionments we might be feeling, the fears we might be feeling, or we bring them to you. And we know that so much of our lives is not how we want it, and it's not how you promise it will end up one day, but right now we are still surrounded by so much pain and so much hurt. And we want you to hear and feel the hurts that we are feeling. And we ask that you, God, would be helping us. That you would be alleviating suffering in this world. That you would be righting wrongs. That you would be healing relationships. That you would be curing sickness. And that you would be restoring our eyes of faith. That you would help us experience you and desire you and be satisfied with you and you alone. Because you are God and you are good. And so Lord, we just affirm now that you are our good God. That you are with us, that you are so, so sovereign and so in control and so great that you can hear us. Not just what I'm speaking out loud, but what each one of us is thinking and feeling. And we trust you. We know that you are for our good. Even in times of trial and tears. We thank you that you are a God who weeps with those who are weeping, that we can turn to you now. Amen.